0: party time hello everyone welcome back to the flashback flicks my name's ricky and as always party on party on grayson
1: hi yeah i think that played well
0: <laughs> we have to go back hi guys welcome back to the flashback flicks retro movie podcast like I said before, I'm Ricky, we have Grayson here, we're reviewing Wayne's World 2, it's such a good movie and review that you get two introductions, that's how you know it's going to be fantastic. This movie is part of Sequelary, or Febtuary, where we are reviewing the second Sequel and a movie franchise for the whole month of February, and we reviewed last year. Wayne's World, One, um, A New Hope, and it, and uh, and now we are reviewing. Wayne's World 2. Before we get into our review, we're going to give you guys uh, some history and some fun facts about this movie. We're going to take you guys back to a time known as 1993. Uh, Like we said before, this movie is the sequel to Wayne's World, which came out in 1992. And it was crazily successful. No one was really expecting it to be as successful as it was. Um, But because... Of the success of Wayne's World. Uh, it not only launched Wayne's World 2. But also several other uh, Saturday Night Live uh, sketch movies. That didn't do particularly well. And Wayne's World 2 started the tradition of not doing particularly well. In the box office I should say. Um, uh, the movie uh, was estimated to have a $40 million budget. Uh, because Aerosmith don't come cheap, oh. and uh, and then it had a gross uh, box office total of forty seven million dollars. So they just made it. Uh, whereas the first movie had like a fifteen million dollar budget and made something like what eighty million dollars. It just it did so stupidly well <laughs> the first time round. Uh, calculating, calculating. And yet, no, goodness, way more. It had a budget of $20 million and then it grossed $121 million. Uh, so it didn't do well compared to its other uh, movie counterpart. Uh, but there were plans to do a third Wayne's World film. But Mike Myers decided not to do it because he wanted to focus on developing a new secret agent comedy, which is a spoof of James Bond. And I mean, I don't know how that movie did, but.
1: Uh, it is interesting to think that, like, Austin Powers may never have happened if they didn't do these movies.
0: Oh, man. That is. I mean, that's. I think that's the thing that really solidified uh, Mike Myers is like a a star talent who could like bring people in and, and we'll talk about this uh, later on, but it's so interesting to see how many jokes from Wayne's world kind of made its way into uh, all the awesome power movies. Now, one of the reasons why the movie, uh, kind of didn't do as well, um, is because it was up against a lot of other movies and, uh, Uh, this excites me so much um uh, because it, it cuz it ties in aerosmith uh so the other movies uh released during the holiday season uh were blockbusters such as Mrs Doubtfire Schindler's List and The Pelican Brief mm. and it's hard to compete with those especially Aerosmith's much uh um, Or Aerosmith's pivotal role in Mrs. Doubtfire. Now, I did this research separate to uh, its connection to Wayne's World because, uh, fun fact, I didn't know uh, Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith, uh, released in 1987, uh, was a song that existed outside of Mrs. Doubtfire. So when I heard it in Wayne's World 2, I was shocked. I'm like, why are they singing that Mrs. Doubtfire song? Oh, oh, that was a pre-existing song? And just going into some Mrs. Doubtfire history because we're here now. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire would not have been made had it not been for Aerosmith's song. The writer says, um, and I'm paraphrasing, like, had this move had this song that been released in 1987, Mrs. Doubtfire would not exist. Wow. And, yeah, and so I think we really have Aerosmith to blame for writing such uh, a catchy song uh, and, and having Mrs. Doubtfire be made in the same year that Wayne's World 2 had where they were literally headlining this concert that they were putting on.
1: Well, since we're sharing facts about movies that went up against Wayne's World 2, um, Pelican Brief is actually two hours and 21 minutes long. <laughs> nothing brief about it should be called the pelican super long
0: oh so um in addition to um surprising crossovers between other movies uh Christopher Walken
1: I completely Did f- it by accident. I completely How did we do back-to-back ins? I could if he sh- if he is for
0: some reason in uh the next movie that we review um I'm just going to be shocked. I'm just like, going to was-
1: change the name of the podcast. It's going to be called <laughs> Walkin's Welcome or like Walking on Sunshine. It's just an all Christopher Walken podcast. We just go through IMDb and just start watching movies with Christopher Walken.
0: <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, it, it was so shocking to see him. Um, and going back into um, when we reviewed uh, Batman Returns, this movie... So three cast members that starred in Batman films mm-hmm. were in this mm-hmm. movie. So Kim Basinger uh, was Vicki Vale in the first Batman. Christopher Walken was Max, Max Jets. Um, and Drew Barrymore... Was Sugar in Batman the Forever? Riddler's girlfriend, yeah. Yeah, it's this movie has everything except for a Batman. And, uh, and another interesting thing about this movie is that, um, so Paramount launched a 100 million dollar joint advertising campaign with McDonald's. For Wayne's World 2 and Adam's Family Values, another movie that came out in 1993, um, where both films were cross-promoted throughout the home video sales of Wayne's World and the Adam's Family. And so that happened as well. Man,
1: 93 was just a year of great movies. Um, I also learned to ride a bike in 93. (laughs) It's just (laughs) forget about it. It's just a great time for everyone.
0: Um, and uh, Jurassic Park came out uh, just six months before uh, Wayne's World 2. Therefore, their Jurassic Park reference was just a reference to what was in the trailer
1: and like nothing else.
0: <laughs> because the movie wasn't even out yet.
1: Yeah, I was watching it. I was trying to figure out, like, how how would they... I mean, I guess it was the same year, but yeah, it makes sense that they would just spoofed the trailer.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's called the, uh, the movie method. Uh, if you remember like date movie or disaster movie, uh, they parody things based almost solely on what is in the trailer of the other movies that they plan on parodying because the logic is more people have seen the trailer than actually the movie. And so they don't even need to parody it that well. That's smart. Yeah, that's how they did it. And uh, you might have noticed, or probably asked yourself, "Hey, where's Rob Lowe?" And that's why I asked.
1: Um, yeah, that's why I asked you <laughs> and myself. Neither one had answers. Yeah. Well, uh, I have. Except an you do script. have an answer. That I do I, now. <laughs> that I looked it up. Now I also have an answer, but you know. Before, we didn't have answers, but now we both have answers. Uh, Where's so, Rob
0: Lowe? <laughs> um, is his self-titled novel. And now we're going to tell you where he is in this movie. Nowhere. Um, he, <laughs> he, was, he was in talks to uh, Return for the sequel, uh, but ultimately chose to pass on the project, uh, suggesting that it would be too confusing for the audience for him to play two different characters, much like uh, Chris Farley's character did. Uh, or Chris Farley did as two different characters. I guess it is confusing based off of the words that just said. And um, Christopher Walken, who I guess is the guy who you pull in and change the name of characters for movies, <laughs> did exactly that because uh, they so did write. True. They wrote a role basically for Rob Love's character playing someone different but still kind of swarmy. So Christopher Walken was hired as his replacement and they changed the character's name just like they did in Batman Returns with Max Shrett uh, or Max Jett uh, being who is supposed to be um, Harvey Dent. All right. So that is some history on the film. Let's get into some of our personal reactions.
1: So, Grayson, when's the last time you actually saw Wayne's World 2? It's probably been like 12, 13 years But I know that, uh, you know, when it first came out, I was real little, so I obviously didn't get any of the jokes. I don't think I really understood the jokes when I saw it like 12 years ago, though, (laughs) Um, because it does require so much external knowledge to the movie. Oh, yeah. Like
0: you have to basically be a a teen in the 90s to understand a lot of what was going on or even just an extensive knowledge of. The music and like a lot of rock music history, because uh, like the the reference to oh, there's a bad strand of red vines, don't eat the red vines, was uh, a reference to Woodstock question mark, uh, where there was some bad acid that was going around. Sure. When I read it, it was like, yeah, that sounds like a like a thing. And also the whole um brown M and Ms story, uh, was also a nod to a famous um, myth or legend about, I want to say, not Ozzy Osbourne. It wasn't actually Ozzy, but it was Van Halen. So the legend goes that Van Halen had a writer that said there must be a bowl of M&Ms backstage, but with all the brown ones removed. And the reason for the rule was to make sure that the entire writer had been read and obeyed in full. So it was just like a test. It's just like, oh look, I found these brown M Ms. You didn't read my writer. I'm out of here.
1: I do like that he tells the same story over and over again. Yeah, he, he he basically had like
0: these uh roadie war stories that he was just like trapped inside of. I I have not seen this movie. This was my first time seeing Wayne's World two. Really. Yeah, oh. and it was it was really interesting because like I I really really enjoyed the first Wayne's World and this one I didn't enjoy as much surprisingly um, but I think it's because it had less to do with the show like the TV show which is I think a, just a medium that I'm more familiar with I'm just like ah oh, they're doing this TV thing and like. I get it. And, like a lot of everything
1: revolved around television instead of music. Um, oh, it, so just the like the story of two best friends doing a weekly show for no money really resonated with you. That
0: just stuck with me, just real closely for some reason. Uh, and then just when them when it took them out of the studio, basically, um, it just I just didn't connect as much to it. Uh, but there's still like a ton of fun things in it. Uh, it it just I just don't think it landed as well for me mm-hmm.
1: yeah on this viewing of it I actually I really enjoyed it um, and I think that was because I had seen Wayne's world so many times and like I knew what was coming this I knew I had seen it but I remembered almost nothing about it except for the fact that he talks to Jim Morrison and he puts on a concert. Mm-hmm. Like, that's all I remembered. Uh, so I, it was like watching it for the first time. Yeah.
0: Um, so if you watch the trailer, there's there are a couple of variations and the, uh, the takes and the dialogues. Like, I think they were a little more meta in the trailer. They're like, oh, that was just like the first movie. And mm-hmm. uh, started, like, making more nods to the audience, which is, I think, something else that they didn't do as much the second go around um yeah or it, they didn't narrate directly to the audience as often as they did in the first one um and they and i think they kind of just jumped in and out of different genres throughout the movie like the um the old um action dubbing scene was just a treat it, it brought me uh nostalgia <laughs> to like uh, the last dragon uh, and just other movies that came on TV on Sunday afternoons that I watched it was just like these horribly dubbed uh, action movies that were just fantastic, and uh, and I thought it was so interesting that they decided to have Christopher Walken be the love interest for, or like yeah. I say, I say not the love interest, but just like the the foe Um
1: or I, I guess what, what's that role car, called the, uh, the rooster obstacle. Whoa. Why do you call it that? Cause you got to wake up pretty early in the morning. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, but
0: it, yeah, he was just, he was such an interesting choice. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen Christopher Walken in like this role. Someone like Mr. Steal your girl. Like I've never
1: seen him in that kind of role. Well, he literally steals girls in Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot he was in Sleepy so, Hollow. There's that. There's that. Also, we have seen him as a record producer um, in the SNL skit where he famously asks for more cowbell. Which? They could be the same character. Oh, my gosh. Grayson, you're blowing my mind. Why, haven't S- Why hasn't
0: SNL made the more cowbell?
1: movie yet mostly it's better as a trailer than probably a feature oh absolutely it would be a terrible movie um oh yeah but fantastic trailer absolutely yeah this would be an we're talking teaser trailers (laughs) trailer one trailer two i mean trailer three an international trailer a red band trailer please a super bowl spot oh man that's like 30 seconds of like quality trailer coverage there are a ton of cameos in this though oh yeah yeah we mentioned before just like crazy
0: uh drew yeah. you, you have a uh, post et pre the wedding singer drew barrymore which is how i, Very I specific window because <laughs> that that was weirdly like the first thought that came to mind because i was just like hey that's Post-E.T. Drew Barrymore. Literally the first thought that came to mind. Not like... I like pre- that you judge
1: time by E.T. <laughs> the Year of Our Lord, 1993, <laughs> E.T. Um, Yeah.
0: Um, Heather Locklear was in the movie. Yeah. And I couldn't place her.
1: But then I realized... She was in... Uh, yeah, right, she was in Scrubs. She's been Scrubs. Uh, t- she was on Spin City Spin for a long City. time. Those are the words that I meant. Mm-hmm. I Like seeing Ed O'Neill again. He's so good in that character. Yeah, I wanted more of him. The Glenn, the manager. Oh yeah, always want more Ed O'Neill. Um, but I think the the craziest cameo was Bob Odenkirk and Robert Michael as the concert nerds. Wait, who who are they? You remember the two concert nerds when, when Wayne and Garth get locked out of the party at the beginning? Yeah. And the two guys come over and he's like, my mom gave me a dollar to take the bus or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul and um, Mr. Show and Robert Smigel who does, um, uh, he did a lot of the uh, SNL uh, animated segments as well as Triumph, the insult comic dog.
0: What?
1: Yeah. Huh. They are chameleons. Wow. Well, that makes more
0: sense as to like why that whole scene happened at all. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. All right, Grayson, it's time for an extreme close-up. Whoa! Whoa! I
1: have to do it quietly cuz there are quiet hours at my new apartment. Oh, that's great. Wow. Extreme close-up for Headcanon.
0: Headcanon is a part of the show where we share with you our unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Um, I think our biggest headcanon is probably the one that uh, Grayson pointed out before, which is Christopher Walken and the more cowbell guy being the same character. It's just
1: wonderful. and I love it. Well, good night, everybody. I did have some. Yeah, well, that's it. <laughs> uh, the headcanon uh, for me is that this whole second movie is actually a movie that Garth and Wayne are making, uh, similar to like in Austin Powers, where they have the Austin Powers movie that's being produced. Um, the idea is that after the first one, like their show really caught on and they were approached by Paramount to actually do a Wayne's World movie. And so Wayne's World 2 is the movie that they would have made, which is why there are so many references to popular culture, because that's what they would have related to. Mm. Um, That would have been their go-to. Be like, oh, yeah, I saw the trailer for Jurassic Park. Let's throw this bit in there. Um, and it feels very much like something they would make themselves. True, and they're even calling in different crew members to like switch out actors. That and, was my favorite. Scene. Uh, and things like that. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, Charlton Heston.
0: Listen, can we get someone else? I mean, he's he's good, but I think we could do better.
1: It's so, and that makes sense why it's so absurd. Then it's because it's outside of the same reality that the first movie took place in. Yeah. That I really like that.
0: I think that frames the movie in a really interesting way that I think helps me latch on a little bit more. I uh I think my main other piece of headcanon uh has to do with uh, Jurassic Park. I was trying to place where that would fit and I discovered this. So they're in Aurora, mm-hmm. um, Illinois. Illinois. Um, it's kind of Breaks that idea for me. But I'm going to say it anyway. So, um, in okay. Jurassic Park two, um, back in the habit, uh, the there's a moment where because movie, the uh, T Rex lands on shore away from the Lost World and just goes rampaging everywhere, and so they're they're trying to catch the T Rex, and so I think that this is one of the stops that they the T Rex just made. In Aurora, while they're just scouting for this concert location, that's where that dinosaur ended up, and there you have it. Hetken. Oh, uh, this is something that we, um, another fun fact that I forgot to mention. Um, the whole having a, a vision type of uh mm-hmm. plot line was largely yeah. inspired by Mike Myers' real life experience, uh, with dealing with the death of his father, um, and Kind of knowing that information gives me a stepping stone to take this headcanon leap um, that this whole movie um, actually just takes place uh, in the first movie, but during the credits
1: in Wayne's mind. Ricky, I've said it once. I've said it a million times. You've watched Saw 4 <laughs> way more than anybody else. Twice. The, I stand by my comment. <laughs>
0: the The whole thing, like the whole opening scene is actually uh, where we leave the series as a whole. She's like, hey, I'm still trying to figure out how to be a grown up. And like roll credits, like that's the end of Wayne's world as we know them. And the whole concert and everything else that happens like after his dream was just completely <laughs> a dream. And completely fictionalized, and then happens during that time because it feels like it, it feels like it would be something that he would dream up. Mm-hmm. Even though it was I inception, I, ooh, this better. Who's trying to steal his dreams? Uh, Lorne Michaels. Lorne Michaels is just mining his dreams for future SNL
1: material. <laughs> Maybe that's why we never see Rob Lowe because he's the one trying to extract the dreams. Let's go
0: straight to the Maybe top.
1: Christopher Walken really is Rob Lowe, but he's doing like what what Eames does, and he shifts his space. And this is his way to finally get with Cassandra. I love it. It's brilliant. Yeah. There we Put go. Put it
0: on a pizza. <laughs> trying try to get that to become a thing. Now... <laughs> <laughs> Now we're going to go to the part of the show where we talk about recasts and remakes. Uh, If this movie were to be made today, um, who would we cast and what would be the storyline? Now, I would just 100% have to say, if this movie were to be made today, they would use Kickstarter. Um, It would be a quick process. Um, I feel like... Social media, it would it would just go off without a hitch. It would just be called Wayne's World. The, the concert definitely happens.
1: The recasting part is hard because these guys are those characters. But if I were to do a remake, I wouldn't just remake it with them. I would set the story way further along in their life and have uh, Bill Murray play Wayne. And I'd have Steve Buscemi play Garth. <laughs> and... They would have a YouTube channel together um, that is essentially like like Wayne's World, but they struggle with the fact that, like, do people actually like our content, or do they just see us as, like, a novelty? Like, where did we miss the mark along the way? That's great. That's I would, I would watch that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if
0: they were to do it today, like, if they were just to modernize Wayne's World 2, Lost World... I think that they would they would need to – I just think it would be more focused on – it might – well, that's – yeah. It's weird because in my brain I'm imagining – like I feel like it would be a more focused m- movie just about the music itself and trying to get as many cameos as possible.
1: So you could recast it as Lil Wayne's World and <laughs> just have him do a show. All right, absolutely. Recast Wayne's World uh,
0: with Lil Wayne, and then Garth is played by Garth Brooks. Um,
1: <laughs> I would actually watch that. Yeah. Lil Wayne and Garth Brooks they, in a remake of Wayne's World. They
0: had their own cable access show. People really latched onto it. He's a little bit country, he's a little bit hip hop and roll, and they just have great chemistry. Uh, Garth Brooks is notoriously afraid of the Leprechaun movie. It just
1: writes itself. Man, call dibs on it before Fox does it for <laughs> real.
0: Oh, man. I would also love to see just uh, a Keenan and Kel uh, or Keenan, like just the same premise. Like two friends who have a thing, um, or like a show or some kind of project they work on together, and then they try to put on some kind of major event. So, any famous duo like that, I think, would be great. Like, Key and Peele trying to like put on a concert. Like, the the sequel to Keanu is just <laughs> basically Wayne's World 2, where they have to put on a concert with, you know, The Roots and Dave Chappelle, uh, Most Deaf, you know, things like that. All right. And now it's time for our headliner segment Reasons to Recommend. Uh, Grayson. Why would you recommend the movie Wayne's World to Full Throttle?
1: I'd recommend it because they really lean into the premises of their jokes. Um, they don't shy away from anything, and nothing is too ridiculous. And it's pretty refreshing in a lot of ways. Like it seems like it would get tedious, but it's not. Like it's such a different, uh, a different take on how to do parody. That you still have a story, like you don't have to sacrifice story for the sake of parody. It's just interwoven, and so that's that's why I would recommend it because it is uh, a great example of how to do like one-off parodies well. Yeah,
0: yeah, totally. And like, I mean, even though I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I enjoyed the first uh, movie, uh, to this movie's credit, it does so. It has so much fun. With uh, its premise, and I like how because the way they break the fourth wall uh, in this movie reminds me a lot of Deadpool, and like all the things that people oh, yeah. love about Deadpool, and how self-referential he is, and how it doesn't necessarily get old, but he's just he's clever and he understands these different elements in the way that we do, um, and so I think that that was a lot of fun. To see, and it reminded me more of that element in this movie, and so it was—it was very meta. It's fun, and I think it's—it's it's a way this movie does a really good job at knowing itself. Um, I feel like the first movie was like a tribute and an homage to television and a lot of what um, these guys grew up loving and paid tribute to, and I feel like this sequel. Um, Wayne's World 2 was a tribute to the music that they loved in a lot of the musical uh, inspirations that they grew up loving and listening to and paid homage to. So if you really love uh, classic music uh, or rock genre music, uh, I think that you'll probably enjoy it. And if you, if you like Aerosmith and other humans, who are music humans they might be in here uh i'm not the one to tell you that because uh, i called them music humans <laughs> <laughs> dead giveaway <laughs> yeah that's why i recommend it it's fun fourth wall and a comedic tribute and parody to music And that is our review of Wayne's World 2. Let us know what you remember about Wayne's World 2 on Twitter and Instagram. In both places, we are at FlashbackFlix. Let us know anything that you remember from the first time. uh, Any references that you didn't get the first time you saw it. And uh, we'd love to just converse and have a great retrospective with you on the socials. Uh, And please... It would help the show out so much if you left us a review on iTunes. Uh, it really helps other people know that this podcast is a podcast that is worth uh, super close-up zooming into to um, with your ears. And uh, <laughs> you can do that by going to iTunes, searching for the Flashback Flicks podcast, and clicking the review button and leaving us a review on a scale of... Of one to ten foot long uh, red vines, how would you rate this particular review?
1: Yeah, on a scale of one to five, uh, politically themed bars slash restaurants. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to tell you where where it lies in the scale. <laughs> Because that's that's your opinion based on your experiences. So let's just make it the Red Vines thing or like 1 to 12 brown M&Ms. Sounds good. Any rating or skill is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Yes. I would do schwings, but it seems inappropriate.
0: Uh, and uh, we will be continuing uh, feb in our month
1: of movie sequels next week so what do we have uh what do we have next ricky we have uh attack of the clones so help me if christopher walken shows up i'm gonna (laughs) lose it
0: he just might
1: i hear that jar jar is in the galactic senate (laughs) (laughs) uh so be
0: sure to tune in next time right here on the flashback Flix retro movie podcast until next time remember to be kind and rewind